Hello and welcome to another episode of Normandy FM. I'm excited today. My co-host Ken Shepard is here. I am Eric Van Allen, and we are talking about the Citadel. Not Ken, the Ma- not the Mass Three DLC, but not the Citadel, the, the place. Yeah, not the DLC. How much do you love the Citadel? How uh, great is the Citadel? That depends largely on which game we're playing, because when it gets to Mass Effect 1, there are, like, things about it that are, like, the best that they are in the series, but also, like, getting around that place fucking sucks in Mass Effect 1. So, uh, it's a mixed bag, as they would say, in the industry. Oh, that's my favorite idiom in yep. the industry, is it, it, the it, mixed bag. It is the industry's favorite idiom as well. <laughs> so today, for those who have been playing along with Mass Effect Retrospect, or, or however you've been keeping up with us, we are talking about... The, the Citadel, uh, mainly the trial against Saren, the Spectre, uh, from when you arrive to when you're kind of set free and, and allowed to take off and go back out into the galaxy again. So the first thing that I want to bring up about this part of the game is that I feel it's, and both of us had notes about this, it's when we started to notice the score a lot right. more. And that, that Mass Effect score, man. It's, the music in these games, so good. It's incredible. It's, it's one of those weird things that, like, it's almost like the series doesn't get enough credit for it. Because, what, like, you talk about Mass Effect, you generally talk about, like, the choices, the the way that the games kind of, like, became a better shooter as it went on. But, like, I, I forget sometimes that the music in this game is incredible. And, like, it was, it stuck out to me because, like, I haven't played Mass Effect 1 until now for close to 10 years now and i forgot how like much theme uh sort of recurs in the series because like there was um there were some songs that took from the suicide mission music which i really um stood stood out to me and i also forgot like how much of this kind of like the music recurs throughout the series as well because the music they have this that i'll hear is the same ones that they use in two and three so like it they got a lot of mileage out a lot of the stuff for sure yeah and, and so many different you know motifs get set up early on and then get added to or, or brought up again i really like even just the main menu music was pulling that up was nostalgic mm-hmm. because right. uh, the first time around i was like okay let's let's play mass effect let's make sure all the settings are in i and i files pc sucks haha mm-hmm. <laughs> but the the second time around just hearing that music when you pull it up and that those little bum mm-hmm. and stuff like that oh takes me back Back to a time when you had to actually start a game from your Xbox 360 and you couldn't just leave it on rest yeah. ad nauseum, you know? <laughs> so the Citadel is not just an introduction to all these great motifs, but it's also our introduction to pretty much all the alien races. I feel like in the span of about two hours, we went from knowing about the Turians to knowing mm-hmm. about so many different alien races, all of which right. Ashley hated for some reason, was immediately suspicious of. But... Sometimes it'd be like that. <laughs> uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about was just the way that 
we get introduced to these races and how they each kind of define themselves. Because as I was playing along and I was taking notes, I I was writing down adjectives that I thought described Mm -hmm. each one of the alien races. But I wanted to get your thoughts first, Ken, about just what your initial impressions are, just, you know, seeing how Bioware has framed these different alien races when you first meet them. Right. So I think you you mentioned to me at one point that it kind of seems like a lot of these races have, like, a a group of words that they probably had, like, next to the designs to sort of uh, encapsulate them and their culture and just, like, the way that they generally are when you meet them. Um, Like, we did meet... We met Nihilus and Saren before, but we get a kind of more general view of what Charians are like. They're very militaristic. They, um... Very duty-driven species Mm -hmm. versus something like the Krogan, where they are sort of, um... Uh, they're, like, the loose cannons, or at least they're framed that way, at least at this point. Um, and, like, they're the, the brutes versus the Asari, which are these very, uh... What's the best way to describe the Asari? Like, they... Sexual. Or at least perceived <laughs> as such? Um, sensual, I would almost... Not even sensual. What's I'm trying to think of the word, but, like, they're very attuned to the ways that they interact with other people. Right. Would empathic be along those lines? Or maybe they're just, like, emotionally... More more than me, an emotionally stunted child would be. (laughs) Um, But it's... uh, They're definitely very, like... I've written down here cultured, that a lot of the Asari you meet are are very cultured and learned, uh, intelligence, uh, manipulative... They kind of set up the Asari early on to be one of the races that is that are doing a lot of the political scheming and a lot right. of the, hey, you need to talk to this company or this person to get this for me. And I was kind of taking note of that because as much as there are good adjectives for a lot of these races, you kind of get set up with an early idea of the fact that there's a power structure within right. the Citadel, that there are the council races who are the Asari, the Salarians, and the Turians, who are kind of ruling over everything, and then everyone else who is kind of working to get the best scraps from the table. And humans are among that. And I thought that was interesting because it it sets it up early on that every time you talk to somebody from one of the council races, they're going to be a prominent factor in whatever thing you're doing, whereas... You know, the Volus and the Elcor and the Hanar are all kind of like the side quest characters. Right. Right. It, it's just interesting seeing how those hierarchies play out and how different characters respond to them. I mean, very early on, if you go into the embassy with the Elcor and the Volus ambassadors, they're talking about how they want to be part of the council, but mm-hmm. uh, and, and even the Volus have been on the Citadel for longer than a lot of species have, but they're right. not part of the Council because they don't have the military strength. And even when you're at the uh, the Citadel Tower where the Council is, you finally, you can hear these people talking about, like, who they think is going to be next, and people thought, like, maybe it's the Volus, but then some people were bringing up that humanity has, in its charming way, kind of come in guns blazing and, like, is... As we are wont to do. Yeah. <laughs> And that humanity is probably going to ascend the ranks a lot faster than a lot of other people do, just because it is it is their way, I guess is what we'll call it. Um, that being said, uh, the thing that does stick out to me is about like the way that you said that there are like 
handful of words that probably describe each of these, it does kind of make... And it, and it also probably comes from the fact that we play as human in the series. Uh, it does kind of make a lot of them seem more... Um, I don't want to say one-sided, but just like that there's a a sort of hegemonic way about all these other races. And they've sort of in, uh, brought that up in other games where they talk about humanity as a more diverse culture and that that even plays into some other things later in the game about how humanity as like a species like beyond its culture is more diverse than a lot of these other things and how that sort of plays in to the dynamics of later games one thing i was noticing that i never took notice of uh in in other mass effect games until probably three was the the way that turian characters have different um the way their faces differ is really, really interesting. Like right. the the way that Saren looks different from Garrus looks different from Nihilus. Uh, they have really interesting differentiations. I don't know if it's just because I'm playing on an HD like upres or whatever right. that I'm noticing this now in the first game. Because by by the third game, you're like, oh yeah, cool. You know, all these characters have different like. Right. Usually, they give them an attribute that's like, okay, this is the character that has this weird, you know, aesthetic choice, and that's how they're different from these other characters. But right. uh, it's it's cool seeing how different all these these races are and, and how they set themselves apart. You know, from the very obvious ways of the Elcor speaking, like genuinely, I am <laughs> thrilled, excitedly. Right. <laughs> um, the the rebuke one is my favorite but uh and then you have the the less obvious the way that they are i i really like delving into the culture and the lore mm-hmm. so like learning about the the way that different tribes of of species interacted before the citadel races contacted them and stuff like that was fascinating right. to me so <laughs> i'm really into that stuff but to find all these alien races, you got to go all over the citadel, and man, is that a pain in the ass! Like, what, what, what did Bioware have against map markings and like anything that resembled like a waypoint? Like, what, what was so bad about like is that like alongside gay men? You don't like that either, Bioware? Is that what this is? <laughs> I, uh, I think part of it is they were trying to simulate the size of the citadel because when you first arrive. You've got this huge space station, and it's immediately, they're telling you how grand and huge this place is. And then they've got to condense it down to the map that they can make in a video game, because this was a video game made in the 2000s on an Xbox 360. It's not going to be able to simulate all that all the time. So it's got to fit into a map, and... So I get a little bit of the, oh, I have to go through, like, five different doors to get from the Presidium to the wards and stuff like that. I can kind of get that. But that's another thing I think they cleaned up as games went on is that when you went to the Citadel, finally they started to realize, hey, maybe it would just be better to, like, (laughs) just show you riding around in one of those air taxis or something instead of having you run to all these different places and just like in general like they condense the areas of the fiddle that you're in at that point and i think like you know part of that's like the potential of that setting is not necessarily realized that way but it's also like it just makes everything so much easier in Ma- by the time you got to Mass Effect 3 you had like four designated sections of the citadel that you could go to and they were all they weren't divided up by elevators and loading screens it was just like it was a very simple and easy process to get around but now it's just like oh god like there are some quests that I don't know if I'm going to get around to just because I don't want to have to deal with navigating that, that area again. 
Yeah, yeah. I did some of the ones that showed up naturally, like the uh, the scanning the keepers is always right. one that that's that's a good time. And and Emily Emily Wong, my uh, press sneak fuck, the best. <laughs> um, you got to help her out. You got to show what's going on. Also, that one just comes up naturally, pretty right. easily. So, uh, but the main reason you're on the Citadel is to tell everybody about Saren. Right. Saren, the fuck boy, running around, doing shit behind the council's back. You got to let him know. So, one of the big things that happens here is this is the first time that the Reapers come up in the series is, is right. this trial against Saren. And it's super weird to hear it drop this early on and then how immediately it's rebuked for all the other things that they kind of ease you into in this game. The Reapers just kind of happen in yeah. a way that seems a little odd it's, in it's, retrospect. It's weird. Cause like a lot of it feels just kind of like, it's probably a one attack thing just because the way that these, like the dramatic scenes of this game take place generally models are static. Everyone just kind of stands in the same place. There's not a whole lot of motion. Mm-hmm. So like they can't, necessarily sell a moment like even as big as the mention the first mention of the reapers as well as they could even in two like even like small things in two like where you had just like a simple conversation with a squad mate it was at least like directed in a way where like characters moved they sat like across from each other instead of standing right in front of each other in a static pose so like the reapers get mentioned and it just kind of gets glossed over and it's i i guess they can't really make the moment as important as it actually is if all they can really work with is characters that stand in front of each other part of me wonders if it's also that we know what the reapers are now so in retrospect maybe the way that they're just kind of like oh yeah the reapers you know those guys they're Mm -hmm. those those dang reapers and silly fellas (laughs) um (laughs) it it seems a little odd now but also udina man I hate Udina. That fucking dude. I think I think this playthrough, Udina is going to have a different conclusion than he did in mine, and that's all I got to say. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm retroactively realizing how human centric my first playthrough of the Mass Effect series was, right? And I think that is completely flipped now, and it's going right. to be very anti-human. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, not not anti-human, but maybe not like. We're not going to preserve all the foundations we need to preserve. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> all right. All right. So once you start investigating, this is where most of your crew starts to fill out. Because at mm-hmm. this point, you just have Shepard and Caden and Ashley, you know, the, right. the the human crew, hanging mm-hmm. out, buddies, fun time. And now you get some of the, in my opinion, cooler characters who are doing cool stuff. So... <laughs> First up is Garrus, who you meet even before the trial starts. He's right. that that tough beat cop. He's he, mm-hmm. I know I'm going to get him, Captain. It's, I just got to get some more evidence so I can peg it to him. Um, right. I, I have written down that he shows up and he's very much determined, brash, idealistic, ends justify means. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he wants results and he doesn't like all the red tape on the way right. there so h- how about you ken how do you feel about garris and this first introduction we get to him 
to me, he sort of embodies what I wish that Renegade in these games always did. Because, uh, like, mm-hmm. we talked we talked last last week where there's, like, racism sown throughout the Renegade choices. Where this guy, he's just, like, he's fed up with the, the red tape and the bureaucracy and just, like, he wants to get stuff done and is willing to go to extreme lengths to do, do so. Like, he, like, later when we see him, he's shooting up people in the middle of a of a doctor's office to, like, get stuff done because he needs to, you know, Sarah needs to be brought down. Like Average he's, Tuesday night for Garris. <laughs> that, that is, yep. Um, and so, like, I was talking to him later, like, after we recruited him and he's on the Normandy and I was just like, it felt like the natural character, like, the, the, the character interactions between me and him felt more natural when I was talking, to him, like, in the Renegade options just because it was like, we're on the same page here. Like, you get it. Like, and like I, I play my shepherd as this more like like kind of like Gareth. He's just very like tired of like all the hoops he has to jump through to get things done. And I think that sort of goes along the trilogy. Although I do think generally Gareth as a character seems kind of like dragged around by whatever the story calls of him, like depending on which game it is. Um, but I think like as a as a first impression, he makes a really strong one. He also re- like most represents the difference between Paragon and Renegade. Because on one hand, he can be this vigilante, Mm -hmm. and and you can encourage that, and you can tell him, yes, you should go get things done, you should, you know, kill people and not worry about the ramifications, don't worry about the paperwork, just do things. Right. Or you can be like, hey, man, laws exist for a reason. They Mm kind of, you know, maybe we should follow them and expect ourselves to be held to a higher letter of the law than than other people right so yeah once you once you get garris it really feels like you start down the actual paragon versus renegade path right. and i like that a lot and on the other hand you have rex who man rex does rex things man yeah I but it, it I, like more so than probably any character though like seeing him, like, later throughout the series and seeing him now, it's, like, probably the biggest, most drastic change of any of them, at least in the first game. Because now, like, he's very apathetic about, like, the state of his people. Like, he's, like, Krogan are seen as lesser in the galaxy because they make themselves that way. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, like, he... Certainly he blames everyone else's sort of, like, role in that happening, but he's kind of, like, given up. I don't know if this is the right word, but, like, he's... I guess, yeah, actually, I guess giving up is the right word, because he doesn't, like, really care to try and fix things, because he feels like that's the way things are always going to be. He's selfish in a, in yeah. a way that I I get. And, and, and obviously that changes, depending on you know, what happens in your Mass Effect playthrough and, and where he is in other games. But early on, he is very self-centered. He cares about himself. He's he's doing what he has to do to get by. I, I The only notes I've written down for Rex are the lines you want me to arrest you i want you to try yeah (laughs) it's such a good intro to who rex is and really who the krogans are and and how they and and as you talk to rex you learn more about what happened to the krogans how they were treated by the citadel races the salarians especially and they become one of the really obviously they become a major story beat by the third game but Mm -hmm. it becomes this kind of recurring theme within mass effect which is yeah just because everyone's in this utopic 
uh, citadel and living happily and there's mass relays everywhere and we can travel all, all over the stars doesn't mean there aren't still atrocities being committed right. and it's something that people believe was right and something that people believe was wrong and and it sets up one of those major mm-hmm. dilemmas as time goes on with rex right at the center and another one of those major dilemmas with another character right at the center tally and the geth yes i love tally tally is my favorite character in mass effect straight she, up yeah Metal she's part. like up there i'd i would probably put like character like maybe morden over her but um yeah, like she, I think, like Garrison Rex, it's a, it's really strange to see where she was at the beginning of the series versus where she ends up because she is like very she's naive in a way that's like she believes wholeheartedly what her people told her and like she she's on her pilgrimage, which means that she's left the flotilla, which is this community, it's the Oregon Trail, but in space. <laughs> yeah, for like having been uh, pushed off their homeworld by the Geth. And, like, she is so dead set on, like, everything that she was ever told. Like, you talk to Relay in the Normandy, and, like, I I was surprised at how heated the conversations between me and her got, because she was, like, she describes, like, the Geth revolted because they were, like, their lives were in danger. And I was like, what did you expect? And she, like, is immediately defensive. And, again, like, like Rex, it's interesting to see how she kind of, like, learns to question what she's been told and what she's believed for so long. Yeah, she's a fascinating character. And uh, especially the early on when you meet her and she establishes herself as this kind of, oh, I'm learning and stuff like that, but also she's kind of a badass and she's making these deals to change, you know, hand around this, this Saren audio that she hacked out of a geth and stuff like that. And... <sighs> Ken, I'm sad that female Shepard cannot romance Tally because that's truly the crime in Mass Effect. Sometimes it'd be like that. No, nothing else we've we've said so far has been worse than this. <laughs> no, absolutely not. You know, nothing. The Genophage, nothing. No, nothing compares to that. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Well, we're gonna take a break now, and we're gonna bounce out to do a quick little ad here for our friends. But in the meantime, grab a drink, stick around. And we'll be back in just a moment. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite store on the Citadel. Imagine this, if you will. You've just sat down with a large cup of gamer fuel, ready to drown out the terrible dialogue in the latest AAA shooter by listening to your favorite podcast instead. But everything has changed. The hosts aren't funny, they have terrible chemistry, and worst of all, they won't take every last opportunity to ridicule the terribly untalented media personalities that dominate the industry. Everything you thought you loved has turned into a constant source of disappointment and dismay. Well, pal, that's not seasonal depression calling. That's just bad taste. For a fresh, fierce podcast experience, experts recommend Game Query. Farm-raised and delivered fresh directly to your ear holes once every few weeks when we actually decide to record. Listeners in Normandy FM are privileged to a special discount code at checkout. Use the code NEVERSTOPSNIPING outside your neighbor's house until they file a restraining order against you, and the official Game Query Twitter account will retweet your court subpoena. Game Query, the official podcast of not being a punk. Download wherever podcasts can be found and give us your money at Patreon slash GameQuery. And follow us on Twitter or some shit, but I don't remember our handle, so you're just going to have to fucking figure that out yourself. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite store on the Citadel. Welcome back to Normandy FM, and now we are talking about the rest of Saren's trial. So, you've met the crewmates, 
you've really messed up a lot of people and, and killed Fist, which, uh, did, I don't know. Did you kill Fist, or did Rex kill Fist? Oh, I let Rex kill Fist. Yeah, because, like... job, you know, you gotta let a guy do his job. Like, at this point, since we've got all but one squad mate, like, who is your general squad makeup throughout the first Mass Effect? The first time around, uh, from what I remember, I used mostly Rex and Garrus, and I have a feeling that's probably going to stay the same, just because as soldier, it, it gives you a nice mix, and, you know, you have a lot of combat power, and then a little bit of biotic, and a little bit of tech. I might change that up and try doing Liara and Tali, and just try to have... All the know, extremes. I, I'm I'm the combat person, and then another person is the tech person, another person is the biotic person, but... Right. Uh, I, I found that, especially in the first game, I just needed a lot of combat power because right. a lot of enemies were just giant meat hunks. Fair. <laughs> so fair, fair. Um, that's the name of my forthcoming movie, Giant Meat Hunks. Uh, get excited. <laughs> and uh, so I don't know. I might change that up just because it, obviously for some missions you always bring along certain characters. Like I'm right. always going to bring Liara to Novaria and, and mm. stuff like that. But... Uh, you know, she's, if we're going to kill her mom, she's got to help. You know, you got to pull your weight around the Normandy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess. Uh, what about you, Ken? What's your what's your squad makeup like? Uh, for me, it's always been Rex and Caden, and generally, specifically in Mass Effect One, like you said, the way that the game is sort of structured, it doesn't really matter what kind of uh, abilities and squad makeup you've got. I just kind of take the characters that I want with me mm-hmm. around. Um, because like Rex and Caden are my two favorite squad mates from this game, and so Rex was obviously with me when Fist happened, and so he killed him. And it didn't occur to me until I was looking it up when, before we did this podcast, but it never really occurred to me that Fist could live and be in other games. So, wait, really? Yeah, like he shows up on Omega in Mass Effect Two if he's not dead, and I was like, I I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't been for the internet. Popular um, Mass Effect side character Fist. <laughs> I yeah, never that... knew could live to other games. <laughs> there are actually a lot of people in Mass Effect 1 that don't make it to Mass Effect 2 for me, but that's what happens when you're a renegade. Also, when your name is Fist, uh, that's you can have better names than Fist. It's like that yeah. guy in, in Guardians of the Galaxy with the really bad nickname that everybody makes fun of. Taserface? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, who, like, who has a baby and looks at it and says, I'm going to name the kid Fist? And my beautiful baby boy will be named Fist. <laughs> Everyone will call him Fist. This, so, this kid's face looks like a hand, so... So Rex has blown a hole in Fist. <laughs> and we've moved on to Tally. Also, you have that thing where it's the save the Corian and you've got the timer countdown. Mm. And it gives you a lot of time to yeah. get from point A to B, even when Which, you're fighting people. Yeah. I... You gotta think, there's somebody out there who has played through Mass Effect who didn't know that you could save Tally. Or or did not save Tally, and they just didn't experience all of that. I wonder what the third game is like without Tally. I don't know if that's like a or even thing you can... Game. I think that's probably like a fail state. I don't know if that's like a thing that happens. Oh. That, like, you know. that would make more sense. I, I honestly don't know, because I've never failed that, so... Yeah. Uh, I should have tried it out. I should have done it for the podcast. So now you've got Tally's evidence. You've brought it to Udina, who is predictably a dick about it. <laughs> who are all these aliens in my office? And Ashley's like, hell yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, man. 
Can't she's like that, that that's my guy that's... can't wait for the dlc that gives ashley a red hat um, yeah, saying, like udin is the political candidate for me he says what he, he says what he feels you know he says what we're all thinking <laughs> <laughs> oh oh humanity can go into space and will never change nope and and then we get to talk to the council and finally prove definitively with some broken podcast recording you know norm dfn mm. was also in that geth tally also yes. pulled out uh, one of the future episodes of norm dfm and uh, they listened to it. it's a very shocking revelation for shepherd and all involved but yep she, they, they, that's how they found out about the reapers <laughs> Shepard's like, yeah why can't i kiss boys <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh so now you get more reaper talk and you get turned into a specter which is I think it's supposed to be this cool scene, but it's actually one of the funnier moments in this game for me, because it was the moment I realized that the council is just doing all this with people watching. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's like the, these top secret media, like, we're going to talk about, like, this guy that committed treason right in front of everybody, just where everyone yeah. can see. I was one like, of our top agents. How long have all these people been here? They're just chilling, like, oh yeah, they're talking about you know Sarah and he's a specter and he's a he's committing treason now. And like, I don't know why all my characters have accents, especially like you know northeastern accents. It's it's how it happens. It's I mean, that's where we go into space. Yeah, no. <laughs> but it it becomes this weird moment. So now you're specter, and everyone's excited. Also, they talk about oh, we don't know who all are specters, and there could be hundreds of them. We estimate this much. And, and then there you are just getting inducted in the middle. You think somebody would just know that, hey, yeah, that, that person's a specter now. But mm. um, it's a weird, weird scene. It's a weird, it's a weird game, Ken. It, it is a weird game. It is. It's a, it's a product of its time, and everything got better. It's fine. So, so now you, you have specterhood. You get given mm. the Normandy. You have the Normandy as a ship. Our own namesake. Which gets, yeah, which gets taken from Anderson under yeah. nebulous reasoning. And Anderson gets given a desk job, and you get to like extra spit on him because of the truth about him and Saren, and that he was mm. originally being considered to be a Spectre, which I thought was kind of an odd note to end on because you go through all this stuff about like oh you're going to be the first specter and stuff and they're like no actually anderson was going to be a specter and then uh saren committed a war crime and managed to pin it on anderson I, I still don't understand how that works because he literally describes how they're completely separate and like miles away from each other on this operation and he's like oh yeah and then saren blew something up and said i did it and everyone was like cool that sounds like something a human would do and they moved right along well let me tell you about mass effect revelation the novel that came out right before mass effect and you, which you can read on amazon and other services what what is i've never read any of the mass effect books. oh it's, it's... i don't plan to unless we reach <laughs> certain goals in the future oh but... man uh, it's just it's the story of what happened, and it's how Saren and Anderson met, and also a character that you probably won't remember from Mass Effect 3, Kaylee Sanders. The, uh, Kaylee Sanders? She's the, the blonde woman at um, that Biotic Academy. Yes. Yeah, it's, yes. it's about the three okay. of them. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. I like Anderson, I so maybe I would read that. Yeah. Mm. So... Now that we are through these parts and and we're kind of back on the Normandy, 
everything's together most of the crew is together where are you at now you know what what was your biggest takeaway from this section of the game uh like like i was saying earlier the the way that specifically rex garris and tally all like it's weird to see them in their like their formative years because especially knowing how far they go the specific characters go in different conflicts of the next few games uh it, 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 it was much simpler time, I guess we'll call it. Um, the one character that we kind of like, we've hinted at her um, viewpoints throughout this podcast, but I think we need to talk about Ashley now because, like, I wanted to maybe save it till next. Um, let's, let's breach the Ashley topic. Like, I wanted, <laughs> like, I was originally going to save it for the next uh, episode because that was when I actually encountered it. But uh, Ashley's worse than I remember somehow when it comes to the way that she. Uh, talks about everybody else on the ship that's not human, and it's like there's so for for context for everybody else. Ashley at some point pulls you aside to talk about Garrus and Rex specifically and how they shouldn't necessarily have access to the whole ship. Um, and mm-hmm. then you can ask: is it, is it because they're not alliance, or is it because they are not human? Like which which is the what's your underlying reasoning here? Um, and she basically in Ramos says it's because they're not human, and she even makes this, like, there's this comparison that she makes, um, if you're, if you're out walking with your dog and you get attacked by a bear, you sick your dog on it and run away. Not, like, as much as you love your dog, it's not human. And I was like, well, that's kind of messed up that you're talking about your contemporaries on this ship like they are dogs in this scenario. Right. Um, that they're either pets or lesser species. Right. And... <sighs> What's and again, we will talk more about Ashley and other things as the series goes on, but like the more I think about it, I don't know that she ever gets past that like there there are points when you can like in that conversation you can certainly call her out for it um but she never she never has that moment where she is like I was wrong like if like if you want to start your character out as a racist and like you can challenge them certainly, but if you're not going to at some point like, let them have their sort of redeeming moment where they're like, I was wrong, or, uh, like, anything that remotely resembles growth. Why have that in the first place? Have you ever have you ever had a playthrough where you take Ashley all the way through to the third game no. and have her as a companion in the third no, game? No, I'm not. Okay. I, that, that's how I've played all of my Mass Effects. And I will tell you that while there are not really full redemption moments i think especially as we get to these later games we'll see them firsthand uh there are moments where she kind of retroactively realizes what she was like and that she needs to change that obviously there are story beats in the game that take her to different places that reinforce the way that she feels but i think even and this is kind of one of the things I think I'm going to struggle with a lot as the series goes on is that while I don't like Ashley, I think her as a character is very interesting to have on the Normandy because it, it gives you this idea of how those views start and, and, and where they originate from and and how a greater portion of humanity feels. And even other races... Uh, you encounter some of it on the Citadel. People are afraid of humans, often rightfully so, because the first thing the humans do is come through that Mass Effect relayed guns blazing. Right. But uh, 
there there is a lot of uh, xenophobia in this game, and Ashley kind of serves as the focal point for all of that. And so she becomes this very complicated character where as a character I don't like her, but as a lens she she becomes very interesting and it's this thing you just kind of have to keep wrestling with as the game goes and so i don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing but it does make for great content (laughs) that it does and that is what we are doing but ashley is definitely one of those things we're going to keep bringing up and keep wrestling with because damn it she she just doesn't stop you know every time every time i imagine them like hanging out just like eating dinner yeah having a good time everyone's laughing and she leans over and she's like i think the durian stole a fork <laughs> oh like, my god damn it ashley <laughs> oh god um so where we go from here they they set you up you're set out to go out find saren bring him back he's he's a renegade he's he's a rogue agent and you need to bring him back in and you're given three leads really two leads and then one afterthought which i always thought was kind of funny <laughs> that you're told hey uh something's going bad on pharos some some geth showed up there probably should look into that uh novaria uh matriarch benezia who was heard on that recording they they heard about her being around there you should go check that out oh by the way uh she's got a daughter out in some system i don't know maybe check that out when really, that's the most pressing matter right. because it's literally a case of life and death mm-hmm. for Liara. So for our purposes, because we're not monsters and because we want to get the whole crew together, uh, we'll be going after Liara first. That'll be the next episode on... I forgot what the name of the planet is. It's Is it the Artemis Tau Cluster is where she's located? Oh, shit. Therum, I, I think, think was I the name of it. I think I written down. Yeah, it, it, it's some bad planet where you have to drive the mako a lot oh my god i'm really excited for that let me tell you ken the mako we're about to get in it we're about to ride it we're about to hate it it's it's gonna be great crashing at the side of a mountain about to sit five thousand meters away slowly shooting that cannon at a geth colossus and moving back and forth (laughs) is that how you pilot the mako by the way literally something like it, I'm glad to know that these things are universal. Forward and backward. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that the terrible controls of the Mako have convinced everyone that there's only one way to drive it, and that's terribly. But uh, that will be our next episode, is rescuing Liara. In the meantime, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for checking out Norm DFN. Please be sure, now that we are on all major yes. podcast subscribers, to uh, to subscribe and, and check it out. We'll be around every week, and you can review us. You can fave us. You can love us. If you've got criticism, hold it back. We don't take it well. We're very thin-skinned around here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. But, but he's not. Please, uh, if, you, if you like it, you know, leave a comment, share it with your friends. And play Mass Effect, because uh, one of the things that I keep taking away every week is that I'm really excited for our recording day to come around, Mm -hmm. because it means I get to play another section of Mass Effect for the coming week. So I highly recommend playing along. There was a Black Friday sale this last weekend, so if you want to pick up the trilogy on cheap, it is on cheap on on PC and and 360 as well, I believe. Uh, You'd have to check that latter one out, but I know on, on PC it was 
it was pretty cheap to get the whole trilogy together. So thank you for tuning in, and until next time. Dormidia film. Dormidia film.